Well, welcome to the podcast. And yes, I'm your host, Rob Elliott. We have an absolutely amazing guest. Yes, she is from the States. She is an award-winning actress, producer, director. These days, she's actually a singer. And would you believe she's been a model for over 40 years? Welcome to the show, Amanda Hen. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. And uh, you're, you're on the other side of the world to me today. Tell our viewers and our listeners where you are. I'm in the United States. Currently, I'm in Indiana. I go back and forth from Indiana to Palm Beach, Florida, and then L.A. So you would be entering into your fall, which is our autumn. Would that be correct? Yes. Yes, it's, it's chilly here today. Chilly. Well, we're starting to head to our summer here in Australia, so uh, we're about two months away from that, so we're starting to get some warmth, which is what we crave over here. We all crave it here as well. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially when you're in Palm Beach. <clears throat> yes. It's really beautiful down there. So where did you grow up? You will not believe this story. I grew up in a tiny town in northeast Alabama. Wow. Really close to a town called Rome, Georgia. Mm. And from starting there, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to find out because I won't let you off We that are. <laughs> we are. It's, it's a crazy story. But it, it was just happenstance. I mean, I was always the one in the family that would sing and dance and mm. put on a show for everyone. But I had no idea. I didn't have a drink. Well, maybe I did. But growing up in a small town like that, you don't even think of dreams. You know, as far as going to New York or Hollywood, it's you understand that people do it, but mm. you don't understand how it could become a part of your life. So I suppose, uh, how big was the town? 2,500 people. And it was the people in the States will know what it is, but it was the county seat. You know, it was the, this region I was in. It was the highest population. <laughs> Two is two and a half thousand people in Australian country areas is a big town. Some of our places, yeah, it could be. Was it but, rural? Yes, very rural. I mean, my family—they were in businesses that mm. uh, you know that farming was around it, and um, my—it was just odd how it all started. Yeah, it was very rural. So you would have been expected to be a good girl to marry <laughs> a nice, wealthy, good-looking young man. Produce plenty well, of children sure and just be, you know, the same as everyone it. else. Just be the same as everyone else. And um, it didn't wind up that way. So let me guess. Oh, this is going to show what you were really like. At school, did you sit at the front, the middle, or the back of the class? The front. The front. <laughs> You're no fun. I was always the one, you know, I, I never was afraid of performing or anything mm. like that. And, you know, given the chance, I would be up on stage singing, playing the piano, whatever. That was just who I was. So how did you end up getting actually to college? If you're living in small town America, that's a rural well, area. How did you get there? The college that I attended was only about 35 miles away from mm. my hometown. 
And my grandmother had gone to the same college. Mm. And, you know, I didn't even have aspirations of moving, you know, a jillion miles away from home to go to college. I just, I knew the college and I was in the band. I was a feature twirler. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Even in college. And the guy that I twirled with in college, he got a full scholarship for twirling a baton. Whoever oh, no. heard of that? That's an only in America moment, that one. Yes, it's an only. It's where you just put on little boots and, and a sequin bathing suit and twirl a baton in front of everybody. <laughs> so what did you study at college and how did you get from that and end up being in modeling? Well, modeling had nothing to do with college. Not nearly, no. No, none. I was 17, almost 17 years old, and my grandmother and her cronies would go to Atlanta, Georgia to shop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they would make a whole day out of it. And there was a local department store, a big department store. And Atlanta is a you know, compared to where I was from was a big town. Yep. And it's a huge city now. But I went with them that day and I was walking around in the store, just looking at everything. And a lady came up to me and said, would you like to be in our fashion show? And I was like, what? And she said, yes. Would you like to be in a fashion show? And I was like, You've got to be kidding. And then the light went off in my head. Do you get free clothes? <laughs> oh, that's, that's smart, that is. That's exactly what came out of my mouth. And she said, sure. And I said, well, then sign me up. And I thought it was so odd. You know, I didn't know anyone that modeled. Yeah. And I always laugh and say, I was tall, I was thin, and I had the body of a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> and back then, that was that was in like 1970. Yeah. So, you know, twiggy, that kind of look was in. You know, there was no diversity in body shapes then. It was no. everybody was tall and skinny. And that just happened to be where I was. But I did that for a couple of years. I finished through high school doing Mm. it. I did it all through college. But two years after I did my first show, I was doing a large show at the store. And there was an agent in the Mm. audience. I had no idea that they were there. And after the show, she came up to me and offered me a contract. And off I went to New York, was doing New York Fashion Week, you know, did the Milan, Paris, the whole nine yards. And but I never stopped going to school. I would just make my you know, I would just work around the modeling schedule. Yeah. And I, back then, you know, there wasn't as much uh, modeling gigs as there are now. And no one got famous. Well, a few people did. Yeah. I started the same time as Christy Brinkley, 
we were in the same shows and stuff, but there was, you know, those supermodels was few and far between. And you knew that it was just for a period of time. It just lasted longer than I ever thought it would. But I kept going to college. I got an accounting degree. <laughs> and you've obviously used and, that a lot. Oh, yes, by all means. But it did give me insight into business. You know, it was like, mm, you know, I can add it up for myself. You know, don't give me some hocus pocus numbers. Mm. But I minored in uh, uh, performance, you know, mm. theater performance. And I tell everyone when you're into modeling, the opportunity to shoot commercials and stuff like that, it's going to come your way. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I met people who became directors and producers because that's where they started was producing those commercials. And they just went from commercials to making short movies yep. and stuff like that. And because they know you and know that you have a brain, some of them didn't. I'll just say yes, that. Yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> I used to be in the sales business. I used to hire promotional girls, as we called them, and we'd mm -hmm. order two types. Mm -hmm. One with a brain, one... Mm -hmm. hmm. And some of them, they don't need a brain for what they're doing. And, but that's how I got into yeah. really acting is they liked me. They knew I was funny. I could, you know, interact with other people. And I, I took classes, yeah. acting classes with some of the best. And that's how it all started. And when I tell you, that it was all by accident. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> How, what was the conversation like when you went home and said to your family, I've been offered a contract, see ya? I mean, you're it a young lady. That, you're 19 going was, to New York. That's very... It was not that way. Um, no. my, my father, you know, he was, he was very um, to the fact that you can do this, but you're going to go to college. You're not going to just, you know, I just had living in a small town. You have the fear of God placed into you by your parents. True, true. <laughs> At least back then you did. And I knew, you know, not to do certain things. I saw people doing stuff that you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was in New York, Modeling agents would want you to go to Studio 54 and all the mm -hmm. other things that was going on. And I saw stuff, but I knew I didn't want to participate in that. Yeah. I didn't want my life ruined for a momentary fun yeah. time. You know, that was not who I was, and that's not where I wanted to go with my life. And I did hope to have a regular life on top of all yeah. of this, and I did. I've been married going on 33 years. Wow. In the, in this, to the same one. <laughs> Most in, in your industry, that's at least four marriages for some of them. <laughs> Sometimes six. <laughs> and some of them just shouldn't be married. And some of them shouldn't be married. Yeah. I, I remember uh, speaking to a, an actress about who was a model and she was, it was all when the, the Weinstein stuff came out and all the, the bad oh. stuff came out. And she said, it's, she said, watch who doesn't speak in Hollywood, who says nothing. She said, that's more important, she said, because 
They might make the men out to be the pariahs and all that, but she said, I can guarantee you that just as many women used themselves to get ahead as many guys did. She said, so it's a little bit of uh, bad on both sides. And Well, it's hypocrisy. You it know, is. It when, is. I, when I heard some of the interviews and where it took place, well, nobody in their right mind would go to a hotel to meet somebody. Mm. You know, it. If you're meeting somebody in their hotel room, you know before you go why you're going there. And there's no way in the world I would have done that. I don't care who he was or or she was or anybody else. I wouldn't have done it. There's no role that I've ever seen that I would do that to get it. Hmm. But that's good. And that's probably why you've survived. That's you, you were talking around and saying how it was all by chance and all by luck. But anyone who's been listening so far know and say, well, it wasn't because you put the hard work in. Yes, you had a I sliding did. door moment. Fantastic. But you made the decision to go on stage at 17, which set you up to be in front of a, an agent. You kept studying. You I chose. Did. You could have chose the easy way to go and do stuff to get ahead. No, you chose to set, set on your beliefs and say, no, I'm just going to be who I am. Take me or yeah, leave me. You and survive. a lot of, and a lot of those girls, yeah. That's a good story for a lot of people starting out in life. Well, and it's true. It doesn't matter what in, you know industry you're in. Mm. Um, I've seen all that kind of stuff happen in business mm. and movies, modeling, it doesn't matter. It's just that you have to have your own personal beliefs. Hmm. And I don't care who comes along or how important you think they are. That's true. You have to live with yourself once it's over. And all of it is fleeting. You know, everybody can have a an opportunity most people didn't have it as long as I've been around and mine's had its up and down, but I still have always lived by what I was taught and my grandparents and my parents didn't beat you over the head with it. They lived it. Mm. And I was able to watch what truly good people, how they lived their lives and I hope that I have done the same thing. And if I can share, you know, that with a young person coming into the business, mm. that's what I always tell them, you know, is don't sell yourself out yeah. for, you know, a magazine cover. You don't make anything off of it anyway. So, <laughs> and, you know, to know and don't, give your business away don't just hand it over to managers and accountants that you've got to learn how to read it yourself know how to balance your checkbook that's if you don't people will just take advantage of you and you'll wind up where a lot of them have they'll be reading about your obituary in some little bitty town where you've are living under the bridge, and that's yeah. not how I to live my life. I remember listening to my son's, uh, unfortunately since departed school principal, 
and he went to a school that was famous for sports stars in Australia. Yeah. And they used to get their scholarships based on their ability to play football. And then he changed it and said, yes, you can have your scholarship to play football, but you must keep up your grades. And if your grades aren't there, you don't get selected on the weekend. And this school produced some of the top footballers in the country. And someone said, why? And he turned around to this young fellow and he said, what's the use of having a contract if you do not understand it? You can't read the thing. Can't How read many yeah. In so, the United States, have yes. you seen that, you know, they played all these years and, you know, for college sports, mm. then professional sports, and they don't have a penny left? No. Because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what was going on with their money. Somebody was managing it all. And oh, bam, it's all right. gone. Yeah, they're managing it for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, I, one thing I do like about modelling and acting is that you're there without a safety net. Someone said to me, why do you love doing stage interviews? I said, because there is no safety net. That's the thrill. That's the, that's the, the oxygen. Have you ever been in a spot where it's all gone bad? <laughs> well, I'm about a million times. <laughs> and give, give us a, a story about a funny time that it's gone bad. And well, then give, you know, us just, tips, give us a couple of tips on how to handle it when it does all go. Just, um, I have fallen on a, you know, a runway before because, you know, they give you shoes that don't necessarily fit. Yeah. And you're walking with this music and it doesn't necessarily go with what you have on. And the floor is like glass. Yeah. And. It's going to happen. You're going to mm. spill, but make it look like it was intentional. You know, you just, <laughs> you don't scream and cry. You just, when you fall down, you make it into an act, mm. you know, and then you're getting up and you do it as gracefully as you can. It's happened to me more than once, but mm. it's when you have something negative happen in your life. You know, as my grandmother would say, when life gives you lemons, make a pitcher full of lemonade. Love so it. you just got to make it into part of the show. Yeah. And if people, I mean, a lot of people think that you fell on purpose. And my God, I've forgotten lines when you're doing a live show. Yes. But just make sure that, you, you know, you recover. And <clears throat> the thing about acting is you've got to be present you can't be thinking about you know 10 million things you've got mm. to be in the moment that's the difference between a good actor and a Same bad in business in business, Same in business. Someone, you must be in the moment you know you got to look them in the eye yeah mm. you know and never buy your own press i have seen people's lives ruined because, you know, they believe all this hype that somebody's built up for them. And then when it all disappears, they, they have no life left. But that's what I always try mm. to do is just stay present. And even if it goes wrong, the other people will bring you through it. You know, just keep looking them in the eye. And I mean, how, how many performances have you seen that 
you believed it was real because you may not say exactly the words that no. are there, but you know you know the story so well that even if you change a word, it's still part of the script because you live it, you mm. feel it, it's you, you're part of it. And that's but that's how life should be. You you know the who you're dealing with, you've done your homework. If you're talking to another business person, shame on you if you haven't learned everything about them before you sit down with them. Absolutely. You know their business, what they're about, why they're in business. And people want to have relationships. They don't want somebody that can just give them a moment of hype. They want to know that they have a relationship with you. And that's what I learned from my parents and my grandparents. And it's the same with actors. Quality actors build relationships through the camera at the people. And you know the ones. I mean, we've all seen them. And, you know, it's, and then you know the ones who are fake and they don't oh, yeah. have no idea that the people sitting there actually know that they're fake. <laughs> Which would you, if someone turned around and said, we've got a multi, this, this movie's going to be massive and you can be the producer, the director or an actor in the movie. You can only choose one. Which would you be? I, I would still want to be an actor. Yeah. That's my first love. Producing is the hardest thing I've ever done in mm. my life. Um, acting is joy, but producing it, it's a whole, I mean, it's the, all it encompasses everything. Yeah. I mean, you'll be paying vendors one minute. You'll be, you know, looking at contracts and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And that's hard. I mean, it's not, it can it's not necessarily always joyful. <laughs> in, in life, a lot of people, it doesn't matter what you do in life, we have to deal with people with big egos. And quite Hello. often those people with big egos you don't normally like. Now, in the entertainment industry, they're known for having some of the biggest egos going around, a lot of them. Uh, how have, you, how have you dealt with people who have got massive egos who believe their own press and aren't the nice people that people see on screen? How have you dealt with that without mentioning any names? Um, I will just tell you that I think this a lot of people don't like it, but the southern part of me you're trained from a small child to get along with anybody. Yeah. And I think that helped so much. And yes, I've dealt with those people and it's, it's not fun. No. But then I have also been, had the opportunity to be dealing with someone like that. And they turn out to be just scared little kids mm. and, they use that fear to turn it into that nastiness because they hadn't learned that life can be so much easier if you're just nice. True, very true. And people will want to, 
help you more if you're just nice. And anytime I go and set, I always make sure to, to say hello to everybody, you know, to make sure they know they're special, like the makeup people and the, the, the people who put your wardrobe together. I always make a point to just go and make them understand without you, nobody would be working. Y'all are the most important people here. It's not just mm. the ones in front of the camera mm. because all we can do is just, you know, deliver it. But mm. y'all are the ones who put it together. I wouldn't know how to do all of that. Yeah. I, I was, I had the uh, opportunity to go into Fox Studios in Sydney. Now, you've all heard, I mean, they make a lot of movies there. Fox Studios was actually what we called a permanent showground where once a year all the country came in and did all the ex exhibits. So when they took it over, all the huge old buildings became the sound sets and they kept most of the old buildings and used them as facades and then put offices behind them. And it's an amazing place. It's all historical. So there's oh. not a lot that can be pulled down. And mm -mm. I was talking to a set designer one day and he was, and he, I can't remember, it was some lady who had the reputation of being incredibly difficult on stage, a megastar. It was someone in the in the genre of Julia Roberts and all those, you know, up there. Okay. And he said, but not her, it was someone else. And he said, I was warned not to look at her, not to speak to her, because we were moving sets back and forth. I mean, you understand, you've got the oh, yes, move I up and back. And he said, I got to, and I went down and I, and I walked past, and every time I walked past, I saw this trailer that was empty. And I thought, oh, someone hasn't turned up. Then I spoke to one of the uh, the runners and he said, oh, that's so-and-so, but she's never in there. And I said, what do you mean? She said, she eats with the crew. Her fellow I've actors don't like her, but she chooses to eat with the crew and associate with the crew and only goes in there to get her makeup done. And he said, that's where. I've done the same thing. And he said, that is where the story came from her being difficult. She wasn't difficult with the people who were uh, doing the actual work. Mm -mm. She chose not to talk to the so-called stars because she believed that everyone on set was the same. That is so true. And, you know, I can remember my father telling me when I was a child that the important part is that you treat everybody the same yeah. and that it doesn't matter if it's the the person that's sweeping the floor or the ceo don't put so much emphasis on the people you think are important that's gonna do something for you because in the end it's the entirety of your person that's gonna make a difference in the world and I don't know how much you know about um, the 60s and 50s in the United States, but my grandfather was a big civil rights worker. Mm. And in the South, in the 60s, it was a turbulent time. Mm. And my grandfather marched with Martin Luther King and John Lewis. And I was so fortunate to meet these people when I was a little child mm. and to be able to sit on the floor and listen to these men 
tell these stories. And I think it changed my life. And it was never the same because I saw everything through those lenses, mm-hmm. you know, that if no one is free, unless everybody's free and no one is, has anything, if everyone doesn't, you mm. know, it, there's, there's just not a way that life can be good if everyone doesn't have those opportunities. And I was so blessed to have that in my life. It was just amazing. Now, speaking of opportunities, the only time I ever get to sing is at karaoke or very late (laughs) at night when the band's playing and it drowns me out. How did you end up in singing and how did you choose the song that you've released? Well, um, I've always sung. I would be in musicals and stuff like that, you know, not, not necessarily on Broadway, but it was just always part of me. Yep. Uh, my mother um, had a business and she worked seven days a week. So I had a lady that took care of me as a kid and she would encourage me to sing. Now, I was a little Jewish girl going to temple on Friday night. But the lady who took care of me was um, a, a Christian and she was a member of this little church out in the country and it was <clears throat> it was a black church and she taught me all of the songs that they sang awesome. in church and she would take me to her church on Sundays. So and you got a bit of balance. It, <laughs> I I was like I'm uh, this is so much more fun than <laughs> Well, when you die, you're going to have two passes to heaven. So I'm going either to hit side all of the, either, either side of the uh, the wall up there, you're getting in. It doesn't matter. Hey, either way it goes, I'm covered. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the first the, the first time I ever sang in public was at her church, and I sang His Eye is on the Sparrow. And she had taught this song to me, and she stood me on the piano bench, and she told the pianist, play. <laughs> and I started singing. And I have sung in Christian churches for the past 60 years. Mm-hmm. You know, just they always invite me and I always go. Yeah. And the, the craziness, how I met the record producer. It's another one of those moments. I was at a funeral in L.A. And <clears throat> this director friend of mine his mother had passed away and I was there and I went to the funeral. Now his father had been the director of the Met Orchestra in New York. Wow. His his mother was a professional opera singer. So this funeral was like a Broadway show. And I recognized certain people that were there, but you don't necessarily recognize record producers no and i knew it was his friend and he had flown down from san francisco to play the piano for everybody to sing so after the funeral was over and we had a little time together this director said you know this is my buddy israel tannenbaum and you know 
he's got like six hours before he flies back to San Francisco. And I said, well, let me take him to a restaurant. We'll just sit down and I'll chat with him until it's time for him to fly back because we're, we're, you know, the director and I are, are like family together. Mm -hmm. So as we were sitting there talking, I didn't know that he had won Grammys and all this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And he starts telling me, and I'm like, holy jeepers, you know? And he said, well, I know because you're friends with Martine, you must be in the music industry as well as acting. And I said, you would be wrong. (laughs) And he said, do you sing or play? I said, I play the piano and I sing. And he said, do you have anything I can listen to? Well, the only thing I had him to listen to was me singing at a church. And he took my phone and downloaded it and he listened to it. And he said, that's great. He said, I'm going to produce a song for you. And I'm like, mm-hmm, sure. You, know, you hear that kind of stuff all the time in LA. And I thought it was one of those moments. And he says, what's your favorite song? And I said, it had to be you. And he said, I'm going to write this you know, I'm going to write a new arrangement. We're going to do it. And I didn't think another thing about it. And about a month, I get an email. It's the arrangement played out. Then I realized it was going to happen. And by that time, the pandemic had hit mm. and nobody could do anything. But I was going to L.A. anyway, and he had scored it he had sent this arrangement to about 30 musicians all over the world and they recorded their parts and sent it to him and he did the master he had it i mean it was i didn't even know it was possible for someone to do that not in a studio Uh, they had their studios but i didn't know you could forward a link and he could put it together and After he completed the master, I flew in to San Francisco, laid the vocals, and he did the rest. Wow. It's just amazing. And we were talking about this earlier, how during times like this, you learn to improvise. You do. And the ones who learn how to change are the ones who succeed in life. And that's with anything you do. It's not Mm. just entertainment. It's you know, it's, I have learned more how you do things from just sitting in your house. I mean, I gained 200 and something thousand followers on TikTok, just sitting in my room. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Before we, before we wind up, Amanda, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you something. For someone who is just starting out in the entertainment industry, in any of the, the multi-talents. So these days you have to be a triple or quad threat to actually make it. And we're now post-pandemic or we're getting there. We're going to live with whatever this ends up. What's the best advice after everything you've seen, you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly? What If someone said to you and said, what would you tell me that I should never, ever forget when starting out? What would it be? I have that question asked all the time. I tell them the same thing, that 
it's not just remembering or not forgetting. Mm. It's about you before you do anything, make sure that you know, you know, study, make sure you have some understanding of what you're dealing with. It's, you know, don't be glamorizing fame and pretty pictures. There's got to be something more than that. Mm. And start out slow. Don't just leave everything and move to New York or LA. There's 10,000 people in those places trying to do that. True. And it's very expensive in both places. Do it where you are. And if you do it as well as you can and you have that studying people will come to you you don't have to go to them someone will hear about you you can be in the smallest town in northeast alabama just like you and you can have whatever you have in your heart to do because it's always listen to your heart. Don't listen to PR people and, mm. you know, somebody telling you you're fabulous. You got to believe you are before you ever meet those people. And the only way you're going to do that is if you study and you take time to know what's important to you. And I can tell you in the end, it's not fame. It's not money. It's not any of those things. You could do something else to do that, but you've got to have that desire, that burning desire to make a difference, not just in your life, but the world. And if that's not your goal, I would tell you don't do any of that mm. because the people, you know, I think everything is bigger than just me or you. We're here for a reason, and you've got to figure out why, what your reason for being here is. If, you know, I say if God or the universe or whoever you put a name to that voice that you hear, if you listen, it will tell you what your purpose is. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm not someone that preaches. I'm not political i just know that we're all here to make this a better place i grew up with it i saw it if somebody like my grandfather can be from a little bitty town and understand that his purpose was to try to bring equal rights to people that had no rights Mm. then i know that any of us have that ability It's just wanting to do it and feeling like you have a voice Mm. and we all have one. You just got to find it. That, that advice is absolutely gold. And uh, I think people should really take heed of what you're doing. So if people want to look up, how do they find Amanda Hen on socials and web and where do they find your, your music? You can find my music on Amazon or Spotify or any of those downloadable sites. Mm. Um, You can 
watch my latest movie out on mm. um, Lifetime.com. It's not, you know, for people who are not in the United States, um, you can't pull it up on uh, other sites. But mm. right now, anyone in the world can go to Lifetime.com and watch the movie, The Fight That Never Ends. And it is. That's what that's what our life is about. Yeah. And it's a true story that I was fortunate enough to um, be a producer on and in it and was mm -hmm. with some of the best actors I've acted with in a long, long time. And it is a true story of fighting for justice and and just to make sure that everyone's, you know, counted. Yeah, yeah. It, it's such an impactful movie. I hope everyone will take the time to watch it. It costs nothing yep. to to watch it on um, Lifetime.com. Oh, oh, you went. No, we're you back. Go. We're back. You're <laughs> it, it costs nothing to download yep. it and watch it. And it's just, it's one of the best things. I was ever a part of. And then you can find me on Instagram at Amanda Hen Official. Um, YouTube, you can find me over there. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and and on TikTok, I do a, a lot of things. I, I try to be inspirational and I take people on journeys within a hundred miles of where I live and point out historical places mm -hmm. and point out people who have made a difference in the world. And I mean, that's what brings me joy is telling those stories that would, you would never hear about yeah. if, and people send me messages, look up this little town and do you know, I call them backyard journeys. And when I do backyard journeys, I tell everybody, I don't care who you are, what you believe in, you're welcome in my backyard. And then I, I talk to people and they can tell I'm authentic. You know, it's not somebody trying to tell them I have the way I don't. I tell them that there's many ways of getting where you need to go. You just need to listen. And then I want to show you these people who have found a way to make a difference. Mm. And people that had the smallest platform are the people who change the world. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, it only takes a small change, doesn't it? And someone's small influence. They call it, I think, the butterfly effect. Well, I always think those circles of influence, if yes. you know three people, and you make a difference in their lives. They know three people. Well, soon that has circled the globe. That's true. So, so true. Amanda, it has and been. We're all neighbors. We are. Remember that. Especially now with Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Look Who would have thought we'd be talking to each other with computers and telephones? I've done that and it's, yeah, not that good. It's very hard to have a good chat with someone when you can't see their face. That's true. It's been a pleasure That's talking to you, oh, Amanda. It's been my pleasure.
And uh, we look, you keep nice and safe over there in America and keep healthy. And as we say at the end of all of our podcasts, have a groovy day.